Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please take them and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We spent the last five weeks uh, talking exclusively about faith. Uh, It was a blessed time all throughout Hebrews chapter 11 as we looked at these great examples of men and women who have uh, have gone before us and they have been examples for us to follow. Um, Last week in Hebrews chapter 12, we were looking at how we practically run the race of faith. We, according to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we, we lay aside every, verse 1, we lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And then it says in verse 2 that we look to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. But today we come to a passage of Scripture that helps us kind of flesh out what it looks like to practically run this race of faith. Um, and uh, what we're going to find is that we do so, uh, one of the ways we do so is um, through discipline. We're going to talk specifically about discipline today. Now, I recently did a simple Google search, okay? It was a really simple Google search, and here's what I typed in, things we start well and don't finish, okay? So things we start well and don't finish. Now, you can probably guess right away about some of these things that's going to be on this list, but one is a gym routine. Now, nobody's surprised by this one because many of you have probably gone to a gym and you've started, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out every, I'm going to work out four times a week, every single week. And then after week two, you think, no, nah, I'd rather watch Netflix. <laughs> you know, how many of you have been, been in that position before of you wanted to go to a gym and you went for a while, but then you dropped off? Um, then uh, uh, here's the second thing that we find, a diet plan, a diet plan. How many of you have been in this one before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you start a diet and you think, I got to lose some weight. And then all of a sudden, you know, that cheesecake comes along or that chocolate cake comes and it sits on the table and immediately you, uh, you, you pick that up and you've lost your diet. Okay, and here's the next one. And that is studying for an exam. Now, this one's a major problem. This is one thing that you start well, but then don't finish well. Um, this one's a major problem. Do I need to get a different microphone or am I good? Keep going? Okay. Um, how many of you uh, at some point have started studying for an exam and uh, then all of a sudden you just realize, you know what, I don't want to keep going with this? Um, if you are a college, college student and you do this, then um, let me tell you that that is a very dangerous thing to do. Because in order to pass the class, you've got to pass the exam, right? In order to pass the, 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 um, the, the class, then you have to have that exam and then you can't graduate if you don't pass the class and so forth and so on, then your life is all messed up. Um, not really, I'm just kidding. But studying for an exam is one of those things that we, stu- we start well, we don't always finish real well. Okay, here's the next one. Cleaning a messy room. Cleaning a messy room. How many of you, your gym, or your, 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 your garage, this applies to? Okay, you start cleaning your garage and all of a sudden, you know what, you just kind of fall off the face of the earth with it and you think it's going to be messy in two hours again anyway. Here's the next one. Nobody's surprised by this one. New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. Everybody has New Year's resolutions. It's a new year, new things. So you want to start uh, doing what you can to, to change things up. Um, and you go for a couple of weeks and you're strong in something, and then all of a sudden it kind of falls off the face of the earth. Number six, a movie marathon. A movie marathon. Now, a movie marathon is where you begin watching a series of movies, and um, you go all the way through without stopping. So uh, Lord of the Rings, Okay, Lord of the Rings, long series of movies. By the way, if you watch the extended version of the Lord of the Rings uh, from start to finish, you will be watching for 682 minutes. 
That's 11 and a half hours for three movies, okay? Um, but some people do it. They start at the very beginning and they go all the way through to the end, but some people don't finish well in that. Saving money is another of those. Extravagant plans is another. Um, these are all things that we start well, but we don't always finish well. Now, we got good intentions in them, but for one reason or another, we just don't finish them well. Okay, let's take that here for just a moment to the spiritual level, okay? Think about this for a minute. How often do we start the life of faith well, but then we don't finish well? I'd say that probably happens pretty often in different people's lives, right? Last week, we talked about the fact that this is an endurance race. We aren't running necessarily with speed in mind. We're running with endurance in mind. But how can we start well, but then also finish well? How do we do that? And we're going to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 13 today to find the answer to that, okay? So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read starting in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the, spirit, to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Okay, now let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he bless our time. Father, in this moment, I pray that your word is magnified and that we clearly understand what it has to tell us. But then not only would we understand what it has to tell us, Father, but would we be changed, would we be impacted by it? Our Father, we love you, but we only love you because you sent, um, you first loved us by sending Jesus to die in our place. Thank you for that. It's in his holy and precious name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. So here's the main idea of this passage, okay? Here it is. Discipline will sustain your life. Discipline will sustain your life. Um, now, uh, let me say that um, right off the bat, some of you may think in, uh, maybe be thinking, but uh, not, not your life. Discipline will sustain your faith. I'm sorry. Discipline will sustain your faith. You might be thinking right off the bat, well, um, isn't the Lord the sustainer of our faith? And yes, ultimately he is. But one of the things that assists us in the sustaining of our faith is discipline. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Earlier, we looked at things that people um, begin well, but they never finish well, or they rarely finish well. If you want to finish your race of faith well, then it's going to take place through discipline. In fact, um, I would argue that if you don't have discipline, then you're going to spend your entire life struggling, wrestling in your faith. 
So let's jump in here. Let's talk about discipline for a little while. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus was a disciplined man. Jesus was a disciplined man. Look at verse 3. It says this, "'Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted.'" All right, there's that word consider again. It popped up, it's popped up many times here in the book of Hebrews. By the way, most often when it pops up here in Hebrews, the author's telling you, consider Jesus, okay? Think about Jesus, ponder Jesus. So in this case, um, we are to ponder Jesus and the fact that he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. What that means is that Jesus, in carrying out the will of God, did what was hard. He did what, even what was, what was fatal, He went to the cross and he died an excruciating death. He's killed by the very people that he came to die for. In fact, if you go look at verse 2 there, um, you'll see that he, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It's a discipline for Jesus to do this. When he was on earth, he was fully God and he was fully man. Okay, both of those worked together. That means that as a man, he suffered the same way physically and emotionally that we do today. Okay, but while he was fully man, Jesus' role and his attributes as the Son of God, as deity, they still fully belong to him. That means that at any point, Jesus could have called on his deity to change the circumstances around him, right? To change the fact that he was going to the cross to die that excruciating death. But he knew that if he did, that he would be going against everything that God had called him to do. So Jesus endured the cross. That's what it says there. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He endured from sinners, hostility against himself. He was disciplined, all because he was here on earth for the purpose of carrying out God's will. That's why he was here. Folks, um, the author of Hebrews here is telling these believers that if they keep their eyes on Jesus, okay, this is within the whole context of the passage. If they keep their eyes on Jesus and they submit themselves to being disciplined the way that Jesus was, that they may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Even in the middle of these believers' persecution, because that's who the author of Hebrews is writing to. He's, he's writing to people who are being persecuted in this, in this time. So even in the middle of their persecution, when their livelihoods are threatened and when possibly even their very lives are threatened, they could endure if they are disciplined, okay? So what we see first here is that Jesus was a disciplined man for the glory of God. But what we find next is the author of Hebrews kind of launching out into this charge of the Hebrew believers to submit themselves to discipline, okay? So before we launch out into the same passage of Scripture, I want to tell you about three things real fast, okay? Three overarching points for you to hang on to. Number one, uh, we're moving from an adjective to a verb, Okay? Um, In this passage, it talks about how Jesus was a disciplined man, okay? He was a disciplined man. That describes Jesus. It it shows us um, who he was, helps us to understand him better. We're moving now to the verb tense of that. um, And you can actually take this uh, in, in, in the way of we are being disciplined, okay? It's an action that's taking place from this point on. Number two, um, discipline, the word there that is used in our Bibles, um, is the Greek word um, paideia. Paideia, where the word is going to come up several times as we work through our passage today. Uh, if you're reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible, you're going to see that they use the word chastening, okay? So instead of discipline, it's, it's, it's chastening. Now, both of those words have the same idea, and the root of those words is the same, is the same root, okay? It's the word paideia, 
Um, they carry with them the same idea of instructing or training a child. If you, if you kind of separate them from the biblical sense for just a moment, just the Greek word by itself um, speaks specifically about raising up or training, instructing um, um, a child in the way that they should go, okay? So disciplining a child. Um, learning for a child is not always an easy thing, but it's also not always a hard thing. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Um, sometimes kids study a topic that they absolutely love to study. Um, I loved history when I was growing up. I absolutely loved the topic or the, the subject of history. And so when it came time for that, I didn't feel like it was, it was painful for me. I didn't feel like it was hard for me. Um, in fact, I would jump into the instruction and the training of history with both feet, and I would absolutely love it. But then you enter in the scene algebra, okay? And just like that, I'm, it, I'm filled with, filled with, um, with, with pain and, and with groanings from, from the depths, okay? It makes no sense to me why you include letters with numbers in math, okay? It doesn't make any sense at all. Okay, but there's a little contrast there. You see, it's one thing was easy and the other was not so hard. All right, let's think about our Christian lives here for a moment as we think about this idea of, of discipline, of training, of instruction. There are some things for a believer that are fairly easy. So there are some believers who absolutely love to pray. Okay, they love to grow in prayer. They love to be instructed and trained in prayer. They love prayer. But then there's other believers that when it comes to prayer, it's, it's like they have trouble with it. They struggle with it. It's a, it's a battle. They would say that maybe it comes with some pain and some, some trembling from the depths. Okay, so, so you get, it's not always easy, but it's, not all, but it's also not always hard. But folks, there are times within this paideia, this, this discipline in which things are difficult. It hurts. Being disciplined is not always fun in games. Sometimes there's pain that goes with it. And that's one thing that we're going to find here in just a few moments. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But folks, um, as I think about this idea of pain with, with discipline, I think about, about a child. Right? They're being disciplined and, and, and sometimes there's punishment that goes with, with that discipline. Sometimes God disciplines us also for a wrong action or a wrong attitude. He, he helps to realign us. That's a part of the paideia there. That's a part of the training, the instruction. That, but that leads me really to this next, this third point that I want to make, and, and that is this, that not all pain is disciplined from God. Not all pain is disciplined from God. Folks, never should we automatically assume that a time of pain and heartache is God punishing us for sin, because that's simply not the case. We live in a sin-cursed world in which mankind is free to make their own choices, the repercussions of those choices are often far-reaching, and they involve many more people than just the one who sins. This is a world that is filled with, with sickness and disease. A person who gets a, a cancer diagnosis should not automatically assume that they are being punished by God for some sin that they've got in their life. But while we, we shouldn't automatically assume that a time of pain or heartache is, is God punishing us, that pain should always, always sharpen our faith and be used to further conform us to the image of God's Son, of Jesus. Okay? You get that distinction there? Folks, that cancer diagnosis um, may be God trying to get your attention or the attention of someone who is close to you. It may simply be the curse of, this, of living in this world. But it should always be used in such a way where when, we, when you're going through it and when you're coming out on the other end of that pain, 
that it's used for the glory of God and used to advance his kingdom. Our pain is never, ever to be wasted. But never should we assume that pain is automatically God punishing us for something. Okay, so let's, let's talk through, um, through these, this passage of Scripture, okay? And we're going to find four things that, that discipline brings us. Number one, discipline brings legitimacy. It brings legitimacy. Let's go back to verse 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 9 one more time. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Now, I want you to think about a discipline here in terms of a realignment, okay? A realignment. Let's say that you run over something in your car, uh, maybe a curb or something like that. There's a good chance that your car's um, wheels and chassis needs to be realigned to make it run the way that it's supposed to. We can kind of think about discipline in the, in the same way. Um, and really, when it comes to our spiritual lives, it's really the same way. There's, there's times in which our lives have got to be realigned with the direction that God has in His Word and, and His will for us. From the very first statement there in verse 4, here's what we find. We find that the author believes that these followers of Christ are in need of realignment. Okay, they need discipline of some kind. Here's the verses that we see there. Verse 4, in, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You say, well, how does that show us that we need a realignment? He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Folks, this is a time period in which the believers that are being written to are experiencing a heavy time of persecution. Okay, the book of Hebrews was written somewhere in the late A.D. 60s. In A.D. 64, Rome was burned. You remember the story there that, that um, the, the emperor blamed it on the Christians. And so what followed after that was this time of just intense persecution for all the believers. The author here is saying that there is something that is off with these believers because they're not yet suffering to the point of shedding their blood. Something's off with these believers because they're not shedding their blood. These believers need realignment. By the way, this, this, um, this tells you something about the difference between comfortable Christianity and Christianity that's found in a culture of persecution. In, in comfortable Christianity, one of the things that you find is that a person is off when they're not attending church on a regular basis. In a persecuted culture, a person, a believer, is off when they're not being persecuted, when they're not, when they're not shedding their, their blood for the sake of the gospel. Folks, that's a big difference there. And it helps us to realize sometimes the importance of what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to live lives of comfort, of comfort. He calls us to live lives that are giving everything to him, surrendering everything to him. These believers, even though they're already experiencing persecution to some degree, they need realignment. So the antidote that the, um, that the author uses is, is to communicate discipline similar to the way that a child is disciplined. He starts off by quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and they're here on the screen for you. Here's what we read there in, in, in Proverbs 3, 11, 12. 
My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. We continue reading in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Folks, what we find there is that the absence of discipline points to the fact that the child is illegitimate. They don't belong to that father. A father is going to discipline their child. They're going to train them up. They're going to instruct that child. There's times in which they're going to enact punishment of some kind for wrong action or wrong attitude on that child's part. We continue reading in verse 9. Here's what we find. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and, and live? Folks, your earthly father disciplined you and you respected them because of it. Right? You came to express, respect them because of the discipline that they handed down to you. How much more should we respect our heavenly father for his discipline? Because we understand, and God's word tells us over and over again, that he has got our good in mind. So when we see the discipline of God, when we, when we experience that time of training, instruction, sometimes punishment, how much more should we welcome that? Because we know that it is growing us into a greater uh, conformity to the, to the image of, of Christ. You see, when God disciplines us, it means that we are his legitimate children, that we are his sons, that we are his daughters. I think that if, if you're not being disciplined by God at, at any point in your life, then you've got one reason to wonder if you truly are a son or a daughter of God, because God disciplines those that he loves. That's what we find there. Folks, we are to never, ever run from discipline. We're to embrace it because it's proof that we are legitimate. Secondly, though, discipline brings holiness. Discipline brings holiness. Look at verse 10 with me. For they, and it's talking about our physical parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So in this, we find that discipline brings about holiness. It brings to us holiness. I used to feel like, as a kid, um, I really thought that my parents' method for discipline was really lousy. I mean, I really did. Um, I hated it oftentimes. But see, now that I'm a parent, I think that my method for discipline is pretty lousy sometimes. Um, that, that's just kind of the nature of things. Um, parents discipline in, in the way that seems best. If you're a kid here today, then, then please know that your parents discipline you the best way that they know how for the purpose of training and instructing you in the way that you are to go in order to live a God-honoring life. They're not always perfect in that discipline. There's no parent at all on this earth that is perfect in it. But when a child submits to the discipline that their father or their mother give them, then it's always going to result in a better understanding of life. Okay, so parents... Um, you've got a clear responsibility, as, as we read God's Word here, you've got a clear responsibility to discipline your child. Okay, you're not always going to get it right. Don't um, fail to discipline for fear that you're going to get it wrong. Okay, 
always, always discipline your child because it's in that discipline, that training, that instruction, that punishment sometimes that we help them understand the discipline that our Father, that our Heavenly Father gives to us. In, in verse 10 here, the author uses the picture of a father disciplining his child to communicate how our Heavenly Father disciplines us. Okay, that, 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 This parent on earth may make it a mistake, but God never makes a mistake in His discipline, ever. How many of you as parents or as children um, remember a time in which the wrong child was punished? You know, something happens. In my, kid, in my family, there were five kids. There was five chances my parents got it right, okay? And if there's only a couple of people there when such and such happened, um, then uh, let me give you an example right now, okay? You ready for this? One day, um, my brother and I were alone in the house, and my mom was outside. She was hanging up clothes or something like that. And, and we were maybe 11, uh, 11, 12, something like that at the time. And um, we're wrestling in the kitchen. And that's something that you never do in my parents' household. You never wrestle in the kitchen. Well, somehow, uh, one of us threw the other one against the refrigerator. Kind of takes you back to like uh, WrestleMania or something. You know? Th- threw, I, threw, I think I threw him against the refrigerator. Well, it slid back, and there's a, there's a pipe that comes out of the back of the refrigerator, you know, for the, uh, the ice maker. And guess what happened to that pipe? Oh, just poof. And so water just immediately goes everywhere, everywhere. Well, um, we run outside and we tell our mom um, what happened. And naturally, as the oldest, it's my job to blame it on the younger brother. <laughs> right? Right? Okay, so I blame my younger brother for what just took place. And so he is disciplined very heavily. Okay? In that case, it was my fault. And it was my fault that I lied in that case. But the wrong child was disciplined. Now, do you think that ever happens with God? I don't think so. No. You see, God is the one that knows um, the very deepest secrets of our hearts, and He knows everything there is to know about us, and and He never disciplines the wrong child, much like we find here on earth sometimes. God never messes up in that way. The author's clear there that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. So we could share in His holiness. Albert Barnes is writing in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, and he says this about this phrase. He says, this is the elevated object at which God aims by our trials. It is not that he delights to produce pain, not that he envies us and would rob us of our little comforts, not that he needs what we prize to increase his own enjoyment and therefore rudely takes it away, and and not that he acts from caprice, now conferring uh, a, a blessing and then withdrawing it without any reason. It is that he may make us more pure and holy And thus promote our own best interest, to be holy as God is holy, to be so holy that it may be said that we are partakers of his holiness, is a richer blessing than health and property and friends without it. And when by the exchange of the one we acquire the other, we have securely infinitely or secured infinitely more than we have lost. Folks, there is nothing greater in this world than sharing in the holiness of God. But holiness is only arrived at by discipline. It's only arrived at by discipline. We bring the desires of the flesh into into bondage, okay? We, we, We discipline ourselves to holiness as God enables us to do so. Folks, I wonder what would happen if God's people submitted themselves to to discipline, to his discipline to such a degree that people began to notice that you share in the holiness of God. 
Howard Thurman was an author, he was a theologian, he was a philosopher, he was a civil rights leader back in, um, who was heavily involved and active back in the mid-1900s. And one time his mother is visiting him in, in, in Washington for an extended period of time. And, um, and while she's there, he notices one day that it's a Friday that she is not eating anything at all. Um, and so he, he became greatly concerned. He said, Mom, what's going on? You know, are you, is your health okay? Uh, is, is there anything else that's bothering you? And, and she kind of deflected his questions for a while, but then he kept pushing, thinking something is wrong with my mother. And then she, in, in turn, responded that um, she said, for more than 20 years, I have never eaten any food on Friday. He said, well, why in the world is that? She said, um, with a memory of what happened on Friday... 2,000 years ago with the death of, of my Savior was so stupendous that every Friday I not only recall the events and I thank God for His Son, but I use as much of each Friday as possible to deepen my spiritual life. Okay, that, that's a person who is disciplined to such an extent that her discipline was noticeable. You see, she's been so impacted by Jesus and what He has done for her that her holiness is noticeable. But not only does discipline bring us holiness, it also brings us righteousness. That's what we find here in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, holiness, as we just talked about just a moment ago, holiness is, is, is set apart, being set apart, okay? You're set apart from the sin that we were enslaved to before. We're, we're set apart from the world. Um, holy means that, that we are, holiness means that we are set apart to Christ, so from the world to, to Christ. So we mimic him. We follow his example. We understand that we're not a part of this world. Righteousness, on the other hand, is the position of being right before God. And when we are positionally right before God, then there are some expected results. Because you can't be in a relationship with God and you can't be right before God without some things taking place, some things happening. This verse talks about discipline, bringing about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But you know what it does? It, it, it begins by telling us that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. All discipline seems painful rather than, than pleasant. That's what we read right there in God's Word. There's a story of a, um, of a young child who got into his parents' medicine cabinet one time. And, um, and he, he ate an, an enormous number of, of sleeping pills. Parents don't know how many he ate, anything like that. They rush him to the doctor, and the doctor says, uh, listen, we're going to work on flushing him out, but you cannot let him fall asleep for anything because it could kill him if he falls asleep. That doctor said, you have to do whatever is necessary to keep that child awake. Even to the point of, of, of kind of smacking his face and, and, and doing things, bouncing him all over the place, doing whatever you have to do to keep that child from falling asleep. Now, in keeping that child from falling asleep, there was some pain involved, right? Because when a child sleep, eats that many sleeping pills, they are going to fall asleep unless you do something drastic to keep them awake. That's what has to be done in this child's case. Folks, sometimes it's the same way for us as believers in our spiritual lives. There is pain to keep about our, our health, our spiritual health. There's, there's, there's pain to bring about our, um, our edification, our, our holiness, and, and the righteousness that it talks about here. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Folks, that discipline is going to hurt. It's going to be painful sometimes. 
But as we are disciplined by God, what will result are fruits of righteousness. The vast majority of you in this room are, are believers. Um, there's been times in which you have been disciplined by God. I want you to think about one of those times. Think specifically about a painful time in which you've been disciplined by God. It could have come because of a job loss. It could have come because a relationship was broken. It could have come for any number of reasons. But I want you to think about that for just a moment. Think about the pain of it. But when you think about the pain of it, I can almost guarantee that what comes immediately after that is, okay, yes, there was pain in this, but here is also the fruits of it. Here's the results of it. There's about two things that I can guarantee took place after the fact. One is that you, had a gain, or you gained a greater understanding of yourself. You learned more about your frailties and your failures than you ever knew before. But you also learned more about your strengths and, your, and the ways that you, you, you survived or that you, that you came through strong than ever before. But then the second thing that I can almost guarantee took place in, in this is that you, you, you gained a greater knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, than, than you ever had before. That you learn more about your God and his character and how he sustains through that pain than you ever did, that you ever, never, ever known before. Folks, pain is one of those things that, when it comes through discipline, pain is one of those things that hurts. But on the backside of it, what we're told here in God's word is that it brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But then we also see, lastly, that discipline brings strength. It brings strength. Verses 12 and 13. Let's read those together. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, we began this morning by talking about the fact that we sometimes begin well in our faith, but we don't follow through, right? We don't, we don't end well. The author of Hebrews ends this instruction on discipline by encouraging his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, hey, those hands that you're just kind of have, have by the wayside, he says, lift those drooping hands up. He says, strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It is discipline that's going to give us strength for the journey. It is discipline that's going to give us the edge that we need to succeed. There was a man that lived back in the early 1900s by the name of Lord Joseph Duveen. He was the American head of an art form that, that bore that name. In 1915, he planned to send um, one of his experts to England to examine some ancient pottery. He booked passage on the uh, Lusitania. But then the German embassy issued a warning that the liner might be torpedoed. Duveen wanted to call off the trip, and he told the man, he said, I can't take risk of your being killed, he says to this young employee. Don't worry, said the man, I'm a strong swimmer. And when I read what was happening in the Atlantic, I began by hardening, hardening myself, spending time every day in a tub of ice water. At first, I could only sit for a few moments, but this morning, I stayed in that tub for nearly two hours. Well, Devine thought he was crazy. I mean, why in the world would you do something like this? He, he looked at him and he's like, two hours of sitting in a tub of ice water? Well, 
It sounded preposterous to him, but this expert sailed on that boat, the Lusitania. And sure enough, what do you think happened? It was torpedoed. That young man ended up in the icy waters of the Atlantic for five hours. But he came out of that water, and there's hardly anybody else that could live through it because of hypothermia. But he came out of those waters, and he was in excellent condition. Why? Because he was disciplined for it. He had disciplined himself for it. Folks, there will come a day in which a shipwreck will happen in our lives. A torpedo is going to come out of the middle of nowhere, and it is going to wreck everything that we hold dear. That may be in the loss of a loved one. It may be in catastrophe, much like what has taken place down in Florida and, um, and on the East Coast with the hurricanes. It could be any number of things, but there will come a day in which that torpedo will come and it will leave us struggling to spiritually survive. It's inevitable that it will take place. When that happens, there are going to be some people who are floundering, right? They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They have no idea how to, how to combat what's taken place. But then there are some who are going to know exactly how to respond, and they're not going to know exactly how to respond necessarily because they've been through that before. They're going to know how to respond because they prepared themselves, they disciplined themselves by pulling themselves close to God and aligning themselves with His will. They're going to be prepared for it when that time comes. Is it still going to be hard? Yes. But folks, the difference in these two people and their spiritual walks is going to be drastic. Folks, these, the, the latter they submitted themselves to that paideia that we talked about earlier, that, that training, that instruction, that, that chastisement of God. They submitted themselves to the discipline when it mattered so that they could finish what they began. Now, many of you are here today, and you might be struggling in your faith. You don't know how much longer you can keep going. You started well, but it looks like you will not finish well. My question for you is this. Are you submitting to the discipline of God? Or maybe you're here today and things are going pretty well, okay? But they're going pretty well because life is easy right now. You're not necessarily submitting yourself to the discipline of God, um, but, but you don't feel like you have to because life is, 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 is easy. I don't need to do that in this moment. And if that's you, then please watch out because your pride and your arrogance and your self-righteousness will take you down a path that will lead to destruction. Surrender yourself fully to the God of the universe who created you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Align yourself with his will. If you've surrendered yourself in the past, but you've not been actively engaged in surrender recently, then I would encourage you to fall on your face in repentance before him and allow him to instruct you and train you in the way that he would have you to go. There is no greater place in this world to be than in the center of God's will. Discipline realigns us with God's will. But folks, in that center of God's will, you will find discipline. It's going to be easy sometimes. Other times it's not. It's going to be hard. But don't run from it. Embrace it and allow it to change your life because you're finishing well of this race of faith that we've been talking about for weeks now. Your finishing well depends on your discipline. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to be disciplined sons and daughters of you? Father, that when we look at our lives, we 
Our lives are not marked by laziness or complacency, but rather our lives are marked by the discipline to carry through well. Father, I pray that um, in everything that we do throughout the day, that we do so with the fact that we are strangers and exiles in this world, that that would be in our minds, that our home is in heaven, that that's where we're headed. Father, I pray that you will show us on a regular basis what it looks like to discipline our spiritual lives for your glory and for our good. May it bring about legitimacy. May it bring about holiness and righteousness. And may our discipline bring about strength. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and we're going to um, play through a chorus. And as you stand, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I can't help but think that this morning there may be some in this room that... um, are struggling with discipline in one way or another. So I want to lead you in one very simple prayer that you can pray. Father, show me what it's like to live a disciplined life. Help me to live for your glory and my good. Thank you for the example of Jesus. And thank you for the way that your word instructed us today. You can look this way. Folks, there's a whole lot about discipline that we didn't talk about today. This was a big picture, flyover view. If you want to know what it looks like to be disciplined, start with three things. Start with your prayer life. Go to the Lord in prayer on an often basis. Say, Lord, I don't even fully know how to pray in this moment, but help me to pray. Number two, dive into God's word in such a way that you have never done it before. Read it, study it. But then number three, gather together with another believer. Go to another believer or a community of believers and say, hey, I want to live a disciplined life. Will you help me? Okay, that's where you start in living a disciplined life.